All right, well, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We are going to go through a series over the, in, the, in December called the Songs of Christmas. If you remember last, last month we did the Songs of Thanksgiving, and this month we're going through Christmas, and we are going to look at four different hymns, uh, two of them, uh, three of them in the book of Luke, and I think one is in Matthew. And this morning we're going to look at Mary's song, and for those of you that speak Latin... Anybody speak Latin? That's one of the things on my bucket list. Uh, this is called the Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat. And we're going to be looking at three others that have Latin names that I won't try to pronounce at the moment. Uh, it takes a week to learn how to do that, so I'll put, I'll put the work in. But this is a famous, uh, famous hymn that has been sung throughout church history. Uh, some churches continue to do this, uh, especially, you know, the, the high churches like uh, Anglicans or Roman Catholics and the such. And we're going to look exactly at what Mary's song can speak to each and every one of us. The word magnificat actually means to magnify. And when they get that from the early version of the Bible, which is the, trans, the Latin translation, which is the Vulgate. So if you, if you have a copy of it, you could probably even pull it up on your apps. Uh, the first word of this hymn will be magnificat. And so that's how it came up with uh, that title. And so before we get into it, I don't know how many of you remember, and it may still be available, uh, the TV station VH1, uh, they had a series called Behind the Music, like the story behind the music. And so we're going to do a little bit of, of that right now, looking at the story behind the song, which is Mary's song. Why is she proclaiming and magnifying the Lord so greatly? Um, I think it was last week, there was a... Um, the song, I'm going to forget it now, because it's kind of the story behind the song. It was called, uh, I think it's called Here in My Car. Does anybody remember that? You don't, nobody? Is it just I'm the only heathen around? Okay, thank you. There's a few more of us. I'm not going to sing it. It's real easy to sing. There's a few lyrics behind it. And I was reading, I was reading it, and uh, if, the, if I get it wrong, I'm sorry. I apologize up front. But I think the guy was battling depression or, or something. Uh, he had a, 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 so, a slight mental illness of some sort, if that's the right word. If not, again, I'm sorry. But, um, he, and he was real introverted. And he says he wrote that song real fast. And what happened was he was in his car in London, and uh, he, had didn't, he doesn't know what happened, but somebody came out of their car, and they started, like, beating on his door really bad, and it was like, he was like, just locked his doors, and if you know the lyrics to that song, he's saying something like, here in my car, I feel safest of all, do you guys remember that, here in my car, I feel safest of all, and that's why he wrote it, because he felt the safest in his car, he was introverted, and so now when you guys go home and look up that song, you'll know what it's about, that's why he wrote it, because he was in his car, and he locked his doors, and that's where he felt safe, in his car, he could do whatever he wants, and he was protected from the outside world. So now, you know, oh, that makes a lot more sense when I listen to that song. And I wish I would remember the, the gentleman's name that wrote it, but I think it was 1979. My wife was just born in 1979. I was eight years old. So just thought you'd throw that trivia out there. <laughs> so like next year at our anniversary party or something, how old was Robert when Mindy was born? There you go. Anyways, way off track. <laughs> So uh, let's go to the, we're talking about Mary's song. Let's look at the story behind the music here, so to speak. And let's start, really, we're going to look here at Mary's song. Let's start in verse 
39. Let's read through verse 56 and then we'll come back and, and look exactly why she started singing this of magnifying the Lord and break it down. So here it goes. Starting in verse 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, uh, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who, is be who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, and this is the Magnificat, my soul exalts the Lord, or some translation, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. And so that's the story that we have here of Mary's Magnificat. But let's again go a little bit behind the story and, and kind of sort out why exactly is she proclaiming these great things about the Lord. Well, the first thing that we notice here is that Mary hears of this promise of God to her, and that's actually back a few verses if, in verses 26 through 38. We're not going to read that. But it's the story of Gabriel, the angel who comes to Mary and tells her that she is going to have a child. And this child she will name Jesus. And this child will be the son of the Most High God. And this is the significance of him. He will be given the throne of God. He will be given the throne of his father, King David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. So this is the news that she received from the angel Gabriel that she's going to have this son, and this is how great he is going to be. He has all these messianic titles thrown upon him. And if you remember, as we've been going through Isaiah, these are all, uh, this is all pointing to Jesus, as Isaiah is prophesying that we've been going through over the past year. These are titles designated for the Messiah. This is how great he's going to be. So she has this news. She hears this promise that this is what's going to happen to her. And as we just read, then she is told by Gabriel that, you know what? Because she's like, how is this going to happen? I've never known a man, right? I'm not even married. And, he, and the, Gabriel tells her, you know what? All things are possible with God. Matter of fact, go see your uh, cousin Elizabeth because she is with child as well. And so she goes and leaves to see Elizabeth. And that's where we picked up our story when I began reading. And Elizabeth confirms this promise from God to her. And that's what we read where she said, let's look at it again in our text. Go back to verse uh, 41. 
So in verse 41, this is where that promise is confirmed that she heard about earlier. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. That was the baby that Elizabeth was carrying. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she cries out, meaning Elizabeth, in verse 42, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Elizabeth pronounces two blessings on her cousin Mary. Number one, the first blessing is because she is going to have one of the great, well, the greatest person in all of human history. Mary is not blessed in herself just because she's Mary. She's blessed because of who she's going to bring into this world. In ancient Israel, a woman's greatness was measured by the greatness of their child. So if your child was great, you were considered great. And so that's why Elizabeth says, blessed are you. First of all, you're blessed because God is using you. Secondly, you're going to be blessed because the child that you're bringing forth, right? You're going to be well spoken of because you brought forth the Messiah. You've been chosen by God to bring salvation in a sense in the form of Jesus to all the world. It's not that Mary brings salvation herself. No, her child brings salvation. She's bringing Jesus, the Savior of the world, and to all people. So she will be spoken well of. And that's why in verse 45, it says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. She's also blessed or spoken well of, is what she's saying. She's saying you're going to be spoken well of because you believed what God had said to you. You're not going to be spoken well of because you did some great thing, but no, because you trusted in God. Mary is a model of obedience to God and a model for us to follow as far as worshiping God, which is what we'll see in a few moments when we get to her song. So that word blessed in verse 42 is used twice. And and again, it's important that we know the difference. The first one is being that you are, you know, well off or well spoken of. And then the second one is meaning you are blessed with power or you're blessed, you're fortunate, right? You're blessed because God is using you, right? You're not blessed in yourself, but you're only blessed because God is using you and your child is blessed because he is the greatest. He has these like the most blessed child. And there's a distinction there, unfortunately, that some churches don't make that distinction and they heap a lot of praise on Mary as a co-redemptress, redemptress. Like she redeems us along with Christ, but no, that's nowhere to be found in the story. Matter of fact, you'll see that as, as you go along in the gospel. It is Jesus who saves us. He's the savior of the world. Mary does not save anybody. And so let's go and look exactly at Mary's song, and you'll see a little of this, a little of this fleshed out. So Mary hears this promise from God through, the, through Gabriel. Then she goes and gets it confirmed by her cousin Elizabeth, and then she responds because she believed and had God's word confirmed to her, right? And so here in verse 46, Mary says, my soul exalts the Lord or magnifies the Lord, and because of that, her spirit rejoices in God, right? It says that in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Even Mary is in need of a Savior. Right, so Mary has all this good news welling up inside of her. I'm going to have a child. He's going to be the promised Messiah of Israel. 
He's going to save the entire world. And so she magnifies the Lord, her God. She exalts in the Lord because of what he's done. Matter of fact, from verses 48 on, she's going to say why exactly she's praising God. So look at verse 48 with me again, because this will bring our first point. She worships the Lord for his grace. Look at verse 48. For he had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. So Mary worships God because of his grace. He graciously has chosen Mary to be the one to bring forth his promised son. God could have chosen anybody he wanted to in that time frame. But for some reason, he chose Mary. He graciously chose her. Think of all the things that God has graciously done for us that he did not have to do. I think of one, God did not have to wake us up this morning. God did not have to allow us to get here safely. God did not have to put you in this place, in this time frame in world history. Have you ever thought of that? Like, what if I was born in another country to different family? Would I have known God? What if I was born in the early uh, 20th century? where I barely went to school ever and just worked in the fields with my family. So the next time your kids complain about that, you tell them that you could have been born in the early 1900s and you would have never went to school. You would have been hunched back because you would have been working in the coal mines with your grandfather. So thank, be glad you go to school. That was the point of that. I've used that on my kids when they were younger. They probably don't remember. But to be thankful you can go to school now. You don't have to just work 12 hours a day. But the point being is that God graciously put us where we are for a purpose. We had nothing to do with it. And so Mary recognizes that here in verse 48. He had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. She's like, I'm just a a lowly uh, person. Who am I that God would do this to me? And so she's praising God for his grace. Secondly, she she praises God for his omnipotence. He's all-powerful. Look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. He's done this great thing. And what is this great thing that he's done? Well, she's going to have a child without ever having sexual relations. That is a, obviously a miracle of great proportions. So he's going to do this great thing for me. I didn't do it. It's all God, and he's doing it. He's putting a child inside of me and bringing him, uh, you know, to full term, and I'm going to give birth to him. That is, a, that is a miraculous, not just a great thing, but a miraculous thing, something that only God can do. And if you're thinking, well, that's just totally impossible, well, obviously nothing's impossible for God. If you believe that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, then having a child come from nothing is not a big thing. If you believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, then birthing a child is not a big thing for God. We need to remember that when you start to think that some of these things are unbelievable. Well, by definition, that's what a miracle is, something that is out of the norm, not normal. And so God has done this great thing for her, and she recognizes that and praises him for it and magnifies God for doing this great thing. And if you drop down in verse 41, she also says, He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. 
he has brought down rulers from their thrones. So this promise that she has given to her, that she's going to see come about, reminds her of all the promises that God has done in the past, all those great things and mighty deeds. So a lot of times, right, even in our own life, we, we read about these great things that God has done. And then when something great happens to us, that bolsters our faith even more to believe what's happened in the past. It's kind of like a revolving door in the sense that, hey, how do we learn about what God has done? By reading Scripture, finding out how He's operated in the past, knowing that He's going to do that for us. And so Mary now sees it happen to her, and she rejoices in that and rejoices in the past, and it should for her give her hope in the future, which it does. So she's recognizing God's omnipotence, how powerful He is. He's done this mighty thing. He's the great one. And now he's done this, these mighty deeds in the past. And she's praising him for that. And then in the last half of verse 49, she praises him and worships him for his holiness. Look at the last part of verse 9. And holy is his name. Holy means to be separate or it's not common. It's uncommon. It's different from everything else. And so she's recognizing that God is uncommon. He's separate from everybody else. And usually in Scripture, when it talks about somebody's name, it's talking about their character. So God's character, not just his name, his character is separate from everybody else. He does things differently. He's holy, far above us. He's not common like you and me. He's uncommon. He does things differently. And so she's recognizing how awesome God is. Again, she's praising him for his grace, for his omnipotence, for his holiness. And then in verse 50, she praises God for his mercy. Look at verse 50. She says, And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. So she's acknowledging that God showers his mercy not just once, but upon generation after generation. It's like wave after wave is coming upon generations of God's mercy. God didn't just act once in history. He doesn't just act twice in history. It's over and over again to those who are his own. I was thinking of a worship song this morning as I was looking over this. You remember that kids' worship song, Waves of Mercy? Does anybody remember that? Does somebody want to come do the hand motions? For those of you that had Sunday school, remember that. You know, waves of mercy, waves of grace. Just God's favor just coming upon us over and over again. And so she's recognizing that. And I also thought of that, that uh, fierce, that worship song, Fierce. It's like a tidal wave washing over me. Although that's talking about love, it could also describe God's mercy. Just washing over us over and over again. And Mary's recognizing this. And magnifying Lord because of that, because of who he is and what he has done in the past and what he's doing for her now. And she worships the Lord, again, for his grace, for his omnipotence, for his holiness, for his mercy. And finally, in verses 54 and 55, she's worshiping and magnifying the Lord, she says, for his faithfulness. Look at this. For he has given help to Israel, his servant. She's speaking of her people. In remembrance... Of his mercy, he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So she's recognizing because what God has done for her now, that he has been faithful in the past to his people. He has helped Israel in the past. 
He is helping Israel now by bringing about the Savior. And she says he's going to do that forever and ever in the future. So God's faithfulness is seen in the past, present, and future. He's helped his servant in the past. He's helping them now, and he's going to help them in the future. God is faithful, not just today, but forever and ever. And that's why she is proclaiming God for all that God has done. Mary is worshiping him again for his grace, for his omnipotence, for his holiness, for his mercy, and for his faithfulness. And so that's why what we see in Mary's song, just this great magnification of who God is. Because what he's done for her, again, that story, she received this promise and it was confirmed to her. And because of that, she praises God. And so, obviously, I hope that you can see in your own life, in our, in our lives today, that we, too, have a promise from God. And that promise was the birth of the, of the Savior. But if you think about it, we are celebrating right now Christmas, which is the promise of the coming Messiah. And so we live after the birth of the Messiah, obviously. And so we've heard of that promise come to fruition, And I think it's very appropriate that we celebrate this at the end of our year. Because as you look back at your your life and over this year, you can see that God still holds his promises. Maybe you've gone through a lot this year and you're wondering where God is or why God has allowed his things. And then at the end of the year, we're reminded of God keeps his promises. God has promised to give salvation to all people through his son. So I think it's just a great reminder for us, and that's why I said I think it's appropriate that after all that you've been through, we come to the end of the year and remember that God is faithful, that God keeps his promises. No matter what's happened in your life throughout this year, what you're going through now, remember God keeps his promises. We have a promise from God of salvation, and he keeps it, and he demonstrated that to us by the birth of his son. So not only do we have this promise, we can have the confirmation of this promise because his son has come. Not only that, we have the promise of this confirmation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not that Jesus came and he was born and that was it. No. What else did he do? He lived. He died. He was buried and he rose again what confirms everything else in his life, that he really is God that he really is salvation, that he really is going to come back again because of all that he's done, he's already demonstrated in the past. So as far as our application is concerned, again, we have a great promise from God. And secondly, we have the confirmation of this promise in the birth of his son. So even again, as as Dana appropriately reminded us to, to take the time to remember what Christmas is all about, we remember Jesus, our God's promise to us. That's the gift. The gift gift of his son is his promise of salvation. That salvation was not only promised, that it is here now, and it is for you today, for all who would receive it. And so the, the question becomes, will you worship the God of the promise? Will you worship the God of the promise? Each and every one of us has that freedom to make that choice. You can worship the God of the promise or you can reject him, which many people have done century after century. 
Because again, God has given His gift to this world. He doesn't force it upon anybody. And each and every one of us has some point in our life made the decision that I'm going to worship God for who He is, for what He's done for me. And some of us, and maybe, maybe even today, we say, you know, I, I'm not going to worship God. I like the story. It reminds me of Christmas, but that is it. It means nothing more. It has no significance to me. It doesn't cause me to want to worship Him. Instead, you reject Him. And I pray that you would not do this, that you would see the inherent goodness and greatness and love that God has given to, and shown to you. But for those of us who choose to worship Him, let us... Uh, we're going to worship in a few moments. Let us magnify the Lord of our salvation for the exact same reasons that Mary did. Again, let us magnify the Lord of our salvation for the exact same reasons Mary did. For He is, to each and every one of us, gracious toward us. Just as God was gracious towards Mary, He chose her for a particular task. He has shown His grace to each and every one of us. And I had talked about a few just common graces of allowing us to be here this morning, to be born in the era that we were born. But if you've experienced salvation, that was a gift of God that was given to you. You believed it and received it, and He graciously shown it to you. So we should magnify the Lord because of that. He's been gracious to us. Not only that, we should magnify the Lord, for He is omniscient. He knows all things sees all things, and can do all things. He's gracious towards us. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent as well. And these are the same things Mary praised God for. Thirdly, let us magnify the Lord God that He is holy, that He is so different from us. Right? And because He's so different from us, He can do things for us that nobody else can do. God promises to never leave us or forsake us. That's just for one, for one instance. Right? No matter who we trust in our life, there's probably always something in the back of our heads that know that this person might not always be around. Right? Something may happen to them. You know, they may move. They may leave. You know, people move and leave in our lives all the time. They even pass away. This life is temporal, but we have the promise that God is so different from everybody else that He will never leave us or forsake us. And again, that's just one example of God's holiness. Praise God that He is holy. Praise God that He cannot lie, that there is no evil in Him. Those are just a few examples of, of God's character. Fourthly, let us magnify the Lord for His mercy towards us. God was merciful to eat, toward each and every one of us. Right? He's shown His mercy upon us, and He keeps wave after wave giving us that mercy, right? Every time we sin against Him, He withholds judgment on us. Every time we're unfaithful to God, He doesn't hold it against us. We come and we repent, and He forgives us. He's gracious and merciful towards us when He doesn't have to be. God would be well within His right to withhold His love and, and mercy from us but He doesn't. He is merciful towards us. And finally and lastly, let us magnify the Lord our God, for He is faithful towards us. Again, I mentioned this earlier in His holiness. He's faithful. He will never leave us or forsake us. He doesn't take back what He's given us. He doesn't play games with us. When He says something, He means it. 
And I pray that you will experience that today, that each and every one of us knows that today, that if, you worship, if you've chosen to worship the Lord your God, you will again magnify his name for his graciousness towards us, for his omnipotence and omniscience towards us, for his holiness and mercifulness towards us, and finally, his faithfulness towards us. And for those of you that haven't experienced it, I pray today that you will ask the God of our salvation to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins. We know after we're done worshiping or even during the worship, we'll have people up here that can pray with you. I pray that you would come forward and say, you know what? I want to worship the God of the promise, of all these promises. I want to worship him. I want to know him. And I pray that you would come forward and do that. And as I mentioned, for the, for the rest of us, let us stand and worship the Lord our God and magnify his name. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for recording for us this instance in the life of a young girl named Mary, who is a great example to us of obedience to your word and a great example to us of showing us how to worship you and why we worship. And we, may we emulate that example because we too are obedient towards you and we too believe on your promises and want to worship you. And again, for those this morning who do not yet know you, I pray that they would come forward. And Lord God, they would receive you as their Lord and Savior and truly understand the meaning of Christmas this year. And we pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and worship.